What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos's very own The Bird Rights Podcast. As you guys know, the trade deadline came and went. It was actually pretty exciting this year. Um, a lot of big trades went down prior to the deadline. So, you know, we already had some big moves leading up to it. And then obviously there was the big Ben Simmons, James Harden swap. We're going to get into all that. So basically what I'm going to do, I actually wrote an article for the site as well, breaking down the each trade and grading each team and how they did on each trade. So that's similar to what I'm going to be doing on this podcast. So if you prefer to read rather than listen, which... I don't know why you wouldn't want to hear my voice, but my thoughts are already going to be written on Sports Sports Ethos's website. I just recently sent it to the editor, so it should be up later today. Kyrie and James Harden going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there, and when you hear reports, he paid sixteen million dollars of his thirty-three million dollars salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he resigns, a new reality is the players are going to move. And the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 million a year. A he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free I agency. I think he could have got a lot more in the offseason. But you got a chance to secure the bag. You got to secure it, No question. So before we get started... Listeners, please take a moment to follow at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter, the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on Earth. Get all your NBA news in one handy Twitter feed. It's faster than the competition and provides more analysis too. Again, that's at EthosFantasyBK on Twitter. Follow now. Okay. So the first big trade we saw was Robert Covington and Norman Powell going to the Clippers. In return, they got Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a 2025 Detroit Seconds. So, here's my initial tweet after this move was made. In 2020, it was Lakers giving up Zubac for Mike Muscala. Last year, it was Rondo for Lou Williams in two seconds. This year, it's this trade. I say that meaning when those trades happened, it was more like a WTF, why would that team do that type move? And that's how I felt about this trade. So, clearly, you know, the Clippers interim GM, Joe Cronin, he wasn't a fan of the five years, $90 million that Norman Powell signed this summer. And it it just seems like the Blazers' whole goal was to get financial flexibility. They went into the trade deadline about $3 million over the luxury tax. And not only did they get out of the tax, they actually looked like they could be a cap space team this summer. So that's hard to do. So I, I will give them credit for that. That's what they wanted to accomplish. That's what they did. But the whole goal is to know not lose Damian Lillard. If you're going to blow it up like the Trailblazers did... I feel as though you need to give up Damian Lillard as well and trade him. The fact that he blew it up and said, okay, we're going to use these new pieces to surround Dame with is a bit head-scratching. So let's start with this trade. Um, I just think there were easier ways for the Trailblazers to get out of the tax. I mean, Robert Covington is making, I believe, $12.9 million. You could have you know, traded him for somebody who makes around the 7 to $8 to $9 million range. And then probably got in a second-round pick or two attached to him. Now, they did give up two first-round picks in order to get him, which is steep. But obviously, he doesn't hold that kind of value anymore. But the fact that he's an expiring contract, you definitely could have gotten more value for him. They must have valued Keon Johnson as a first-round pick. We saw him become a first-round pick in this year's NBA draft. This is his rookie season. And then, you know, they get off the Norman Powell contract, which clearly, I think it's reasonable money for Norman Powell, 5 for 90. He's good at self-creating. He's a good scorer, okay defender. I I think it was reasonable money, but the Trailblazers clearly thought otherwise, and it was a salary dump, essentially. But, I mean, Keon Johnson is a type of prospect that the Blazers like due to his athletic prowess. We saw them take guys like Anthony Simons. We saw them take Greg Brown last year. Those are guys that are pure athletes, and Keon Johnson fits in that mold. So, I would imagine they got some kind of first-round pick available for Co- both Covington and Powell, but they must have preferred Keon Johnson. Eric Bledsoe, meanwhile, he's only guaranteed $3.9 million in guaranteed money next year out of his $19.4 million salary. So they, they basically are clearing their books. I mean, they have Justice Winslow on the books for next year, and that that's about it in terms of guys they took back in this trade. Bledsoe's $3.9 million, Winslow's $4 million, and Keon Johnson's about $2.5 million. So they went from about 
19 million guaranteed next year. And then they would have had to decide Covington's free agency to about $10.5 million. So they cut that number in half. For this trade, I, I just realized I forgot to give grades. I gave the Trailblazers a D and I gave the Clippers an A. So the Trailblazers, a D, I kind of gave my reasoning already. It's just not something that I think will keep Damian Lillard in town long term. I think they are going to have to eventually trade him if this is the direction they're going to go. And for the Clippers, I gave them an A. When everyone zigged and said the Blazers were going to cut their $94 million luxury tax bill, I zagged and said, okay, yeah, I know Paul George and Kawhi are both likely out for the year, but I was more skeptical. Steve Ballmer is by far the richest owner in sports, and if there was an opportunity for the Clippers to improve their title chances for next year and beyond, I knew they wouldn't have hesitated. Here, they upgraded their wing depth, and again, in the NBA, there's no such thing as too much wing depth. And quite frankly, I think they're my favorites to win the title next year when they're healthy. I mean, they have, if they resign Covington, they have Covington and Powell alongside Kawhi and Paul George, in addition to Terrence Mann, in addition to Emil Coffey, in addition to Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, Zubach, like, they just have so many freaking guys in town that, you know, I, I know those guys I'm missing. Let me look. Um, Luke Kennard. Nicholas Batum has a player option. I'm sure they'll resign him. If they'll resign one of him or Covington, I'd imagine. So my point is that team is just so freaking deep. I do think they are one of the title favorites for next year. Meanwhile, Norman Powell goes back to a similar switch-heavy scheme that he thrived in in Toronto. And as Kevin Pelton of ESPN pointed out, Covington is a very weak on-ball defender, but he's a phenomenal help defender. So he'll benefit greatly from playing alongside guys who are good on-ball defenders like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, assuming, you know, they resign Covington this summer, which they now have his bird rights. He's filthy rich. He doesn't care about the luxury tax. He bomb. So I'd imagine they're going to do whatever they can to resign Covington. And quite frankly, they got Powell and Covington. The only thing of value they really gave away is Keon Johnson, who was the 21st pick in this year's draft. And then... Who knows what that 2025 Detroit second rounder will be. Sure, it could be good, given that they're tanking. But you know with Kate Cunningham, Jeremy Grant, I'd imagine they'll sign Jeremy Grant to an extension now that he wasn't traded. I would imagine, you know, that maybe that Pistons 2025 first isn't all that great. The next trade we saw was the Cavs and Pacers trade, where the Pacers traded Chris Levert to the Cavs for Ricky Rubio, a 2025 first that's lottery protected, Houston's 2022 second, and 2027 second from Utah. I gave the Cavaliers a B minus. I gave the Pacers a B plus. So in terms of contract, Levert is reasonably priced. I think the Cavs will, you know, deploy him as a secondary ball handler or the primary initiator off the bench that they kind of stretch Rajon Rondo into. It was kind of speculated the Cavs were looking for a wing with Curtis Levert and Eric Gordon being the two biggest names um, that the Cavs were looking for. So I'm not all that surprised that they ended up with Levert. And I don't know. I feel like Cleveland might have been just betting, bidding against themselves in this trade. I mean, it, it was reported that the Pacers were definitely looking for a first-round pick, which they did get. That lottery protected first is likely to convey as Cleveland is currently, I think, number three seed in the East. There's five teams off in two and a half games of the one seed in the East, but Cleveland is in that mix. So you would imagine that, you know, they're, they're not going to collapse or anything and that pick will convey. And then the 2022 Houston pick, Houston right now has a second or third, the third worst record in the NBA right now. So that's pick 33. That's basically a late first-round pick. So I think this is actually a home run for the Pacers. I know I gave them a B plus, but maybe I was a little too low. Meanwhile, the Pacers, as I said, they won a first-round pick for Levert. They got that and more. And yeah, it's solid value. They... They get off the votes money for next year because Rubio isn't expiring. Maybe they sign and trade Rubio over the summer just because of the limited amount of teams with cap space that are going to be competing. And then once they do that, they could probably get another asset in the Rubio sign and trade. So that's something to keep in mind that, okay, sure, the Pacers got all this for the votes and they still might get even more subsequently from this trade. So, I mean, I, I know that Rick Carlisle isn't a tanking, overseeing a rebuild type coach. So I wasn't expecting the Pacers to trade all three of Turner, Sabonis, and Levert. And I thought Sabonis was going to be the one to stay, quite frankly. So it's interesting that Miles Turner is the one that ends up staying through this deal. 
And, you know, they, they got good value for Levert. They got great value for Sabonis, which we'll get to. And, yeah, I, I think the Pacers did a great job. The next trade that came up was the Trailblazers and the Pelicans. The Trailblazers traded C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell. The Pelicans traded Josh Hart, Tomas Sadaransky, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, D.D. Luzada, a 2022 first-round pick that's protected picks 1 through 4 and 15 through 30. So basically, the Trailblazers get this pick if it's pick not if it's pick five to pick fourteen. So as long as it's in the lottery and it's not top four, so basically if the Pelicans miss the playoffs and don't get lottery luck, that pick's going to the Trailblazers, and they got two future second round picks. I gave the Trailblazers a B, and I gave the Pelicans a C. Again, it looks like at this point what Paul is trying to accomplish is financial flexibility. But, I mean, it, it looks like Portland's going to have roughly $40 million in cap space if they release Josh Hart. Or forty, they could have up to $40 million in cap space if they release Josh Hart. But if they keep him, it's looking more like $30 million. But when you factor in Anthony Simons and Joseph Nurchik's cap holds, that probably puts him at about $2 million in cap space. So was this really worth it? I know they were a tax team going into the deadline, but... I mean, figure you re-sign Nurchik and you re-sign Anthony Simons, then all that cash space is gone anyway. In addition, the Trailblazers also generated a $21 million trade player exception with this trade, and you can use a trade exception if you're an under-the-cap team. Additionally, given that they're not a tax team, they get the full mid-level exception if they operate as an over-the-cap team. So I envision the Trailblazers, you know, they did all this to get cap space. I assume they're still going to operate as an over-the-cap team so they could use that trade player exception and so they could use that mid-level exception. That $21 million trade player exception, the player I'm looking at is Jeremy Grants. Um, and even, let's say, they give up a first-round pick to acquire him is a core of Anthony Simons, Damian Lillard, Jeremy Grant, Josh Hurt, Josh Hart, and Nurchik enough to keep Dame happy and keep him in town? I'm not sure that team was better than the team they had before. Sure, they they aren't even close to the tax like they were before, but the team itself isn't much better. Um, in addition, I mean, and, and keep in mind, they also get two lottery picks. They get their own, and then I'm assuming that Pelicans' first-round pick they acquired is going to be a lottery pick. So all those guys plus two lottery picks, it, it's hard to build for the future and compete at the same time, so... I can't imagine a team like Portland will be able to pull that off. And I do anticipate they do have guys on the books next year, like D.D. Luzada and Justice Winslow. I anticipate them getting that off the books as well to give them even more financial flexibility. As I said, for the Pelicans, I gave them a C. Um, Everything David Griffin has done in the past year has looked like it's been pretty desperate. He took the job and he had the burden of shipping off Anthony Davis and parting with Drew Holiday. Got a treasure trove of picks for both of those guys. But ever since then, I mean, he traded for Steven Adams, who was clearly a bad fit with Zion, and then extended him for two seasons before ever watching them coexist on the court together. After that didn't work, he flipped Adams with additional picks to get Jonas Valanciunas and extended Valanciunas before the season even started, before he even got to see him play with Zion. So he made the same mistake again. And while Valanciunas has been a revelation for the Pelicans and his three-point percentage is actually one of the better ones in the league, he isn't, you know, that stretch big like Miles Turner is that will thrive alongside Zion. So, I mean, they let Lonzo Ball walk and then ended up giving a first-round pick to get Devontae Graham. So they gave up a first-round pick to downgrade. And now they're giving up a potential lottery pick for C.J. McCollum because they realized the backcourt of Devontae Graham and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis backfired on them. And again, training for McCollum was an acknowledgement of that, that the fact that they aren't able to make that young backcourt work and they were missing a playmaker like Lonzo Ball. Sure, McCollum does help the offense, especially when Zion returns. That offense will probably be one of the better ones in the league. But that defense is going to be rough with Zion, Valanciunas, Devontae Graham, McCollum, and Brandon Ingram as you're likely starting five. Herb Jones is great, especially for a rookie defensively. But again, he's only one guy. He could only impact the defense so much. What I do worry about is the financial implications this has on the Pelicans. Zion is already due his rookie extension this summer, and, I mean, they're going to be a tax team quickly. And given they're a small market, given that they have probably the worst fan base in the NBA, so they're not getting great revenue, this team is going to pay the tax. 
Going into next year, they're already at $139.6 million with 13 guys under contract, and the tax threshold is $145 million. And that's with Zion still on his rookie deal. So even if they avoid the tax next year, every other year after that when Zion's, um, Zion will still be on the last year of his rookie deal the following year. But even so, I, I imagine them being a tax team every year thereafter. And once his extension, his rookie central kick in in 23-24, they're gonna have to undo. They're gonna have to undergo another makeover just to get under the tax. The next trade that we saw happen was the Demontis Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton swap. The Pacers got Demontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick, while the Kings got Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hield, and Justin Thompson. I gave the Pacers an A. I mean, I, I think this was a home run. Halliburton is a 21 year old young budding star in today's league. And again, I'm reading a lot of this from my article, so if it sounds like I'm reading, I literally am. But I think he's going to be an absolute star. He was the missing piece that the Kings needed to be relevant again. I mean, the Kings have missed the playoffs for 15 straight years, which is tied for the longest playoff drought in NBA history. And if they don't make the playoffs this year, they will be the sole owners of the longest drought in NBA history. And who knows how much longer that streak's going to continue. Halliburton was the type of player they could have built around. And he was he's like a fra- I personally believe Tyrese Halliburton is a franchise cornerstone player that he alone could have, you know, got this team out of the basement of the NBA and made them relevant and made them a really freaking good team. There was a lot of speculation that Nikola Vucevic trade to the Bulls last year was kind of the measuring stick for Sabonis. But honestly, I think Sabonis should have gotten more. They're both two-time All-Stars, but Sabonis is five years younger. And for Vucevic, they got Wendell Carter Jr., two first, two first-round picks. One of them ended up being, I think, the ninth pick in the draft, which they used on Franz Wagner. So that's a haul. But even so, I think Halliburton is a bigger prize than anybody the Bulls got or that the Magic got from the Bulls in the Vucevic trade. He's that good. So now that Miles Turner, we know he's staying in town, it seems like the Pacers are kind of doing a quasi-rebuild in the aspect of they're not going to completely blow it up. And, you know, they'll, they'll, right now they would have a fifth pick in the draft if they won a lottery. So obviously they need some lottery luck. But if all of a sudden they could get a Chet Holmgren or a Jabari Smith or Apollo Bancaro and pair them with Miles Turner and pair them with Halliburton, and then they have the Cavs first-round pick as well, I mean, all of a sudden this team is looking pretty good. It's not like they had to tear it down to the studs in order to rebuild. That's why I called it a quasi-rebuild because, you know, they're not going to have to completely blow it up now that they got that piece in Halliburton. But I remember when the Pacers acquired Paul George for Sabonis and Oladipo, everyone said it was one of the worst trades in NBA history. Meanwhile, since then, Oladipo made two All-Star games, Sabonis made two All-Star games. They flipped Oladipo for Levert and ended up getting this first-round pick and the Houston pick right now, which will be 33 in this year's draft. In addition, they flipped Sabonis for freaking Halliburton and Buddy Heald. So, yeah, I mean, that's just ramifications of all the moves that Kevin Pritchard did. And I think Indiana actually is one of the more underrated front offices in the NBA. And this trade is an, an indictment on that. Um, I'm interested to see what the Pacers are going to do with Buddy Heald or Malcolm Brown in the summer. Because now they have Halliburton and Chris Duarte as the future of, as a future backcourt. And sure, maybe Buddy Heald will come off the bench or you could play three of those guys at the same time. But you don't need four of them. So I imagine Brogdon wasn't able to be traded this year due to the extension that he signs. And Buddy Heald was there for salary matching. So I I envision them trading Brogdon this summer over Buddy Heald. And then, you know, going in next year with Halliburton and Duarte and Buddy Heald and the top five or six pick in the draft, plus the Castro Sean pick, plus the 33rd pick in the draft from Houston, plus what else do they have? Plus whatever they get in a Brogdon trade. I mean, Indiana, all of a sudden, I'm pretty jealous of what they have. Plus Isaiah Jackson. They have TJ McConnell. Maybe they re-sign TJ Warren. Whatever they get for a Ricky Rubio sign and trade. I mean, they have options. So I am pretty envious of that situation over in Indiana. For Sacramento, I gave them an F. I mean, before I begin, I don't want people to think that, you know, I'm... I'm speaking neg- negatively about DeMontis Sabonis. I think Sabonis is a great player. But, I mean, to trade Halliburton, you need to acquire one of the premier talents in the league. You need to acquire a superstar. And, you know, they didn't do that. They got a multi-time all-star. I'll give them that. But, 
I, I don't even know if ha- if Sabonis helps him make the playoffs all that much more than Halliburton was going to this year. They, I mean, they, they obviously want to end that playoff drought, which would, as I said, be the longest in NBA history. But Halliburton was the best pick they made since Boogie Cousins. And this was a desperation trade. I'm not disp- Again, I'm not disparaging Sabonis at all. But I just, he's on reasonable money. He's only 25 years old and under contract for $19.8 million and $20.7 million the next two years, which is reasonable. But you would Halliburton for a combined $10 million over the next two years before you have to give him a rookie extension. And even, let's say, the Kings break the playoff round. What, what are they? They're the eight seed. They win in the play-in game, get the eight seed, and then get swept by the Suns of the Warriors. I mean, to give up a franchise player like that, it just doesn't make sense. And sure, Davion Mitchell, they open up minutes for him by moving off Halliburton and healed. But now you have the whole Rashawn Holmes issue. You didn't trade him. And, you know, you have him basically as Sabonis' backup now. And uh, to make matters worse, they definitely could have gotten value for Holmes. So, I mean, the Holmes and Sabonis fit is clunky, just like the Sabonis and Turner one was. And now, you know, Holmes is likely going to be relegated to backup duties. So... I guess good for the Kings for picking up a 25-year-old All-Star, but at the expense for one of the premier young assets in the league, I just can't get behind it at all, and that's why I ultimately gave them an F. The last trade we saw before the actual deadline, actually, excuse me, those two minor trades that happened before the deadline. The first one is a three-teamer between the Jazz, Blazers, and Spurs. Jazz got Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Hunter-Gomez. Trailblazers get Joe Wingles, who recently tore his ACL, and Elijah Hughes, and a 2027 second round pick from Utah. And the Spurs receive Tomas Adoransky and a 2022 second round pick via Memphis. So let's start with the Spurs. The Spurs gave them an A. I mean, they got a late second round pick, which is projected to be 58 right now. Memphis does have the third best record in the NBA. So they got the fifth, well, excuse me, two teams actually forfeit their second round picks this year due to tampering, the Bulls and the Bucks. So there's only 58 picks in this draft. So it's actually the 56th pick in this draft out of 58 picks. But either way, they take on Tomas Anoransky's expiring for Juancho Hernan Gomez's expiring. So they pay an extra few million dollars in salary and get a second round pick full of troubles. That's an A. They didn't do much. The Trailblazers, they acquire two more expiring deals and get off Nikhil Alexander-Walker's deal next year. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is due $5 million next year. The Trailblazers, again, wanted the financial flexibility. They got Ingles and they got Elijah Hughes. Both guys are expirings. And basically, they got a second-round pick for Nikhil Alexander-Walker plus the financial flexibility. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I kind of like, though. I gave the Trailblazers a C plus. I gave the Jazz a C plus. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I feel like a lot of people who I read after the shade went down were down on him because of how inefficient he is. And he's a shoot-first, score-first type guy rather than the do-everything type guy that he was at Virginia Tech in college. I gave the Jazz a C-plus because I think they could... I'm surprised they didn't make a splashier move. They could have attached Ingles' expiring deal to with, like, a first-round pick and got maybe, like, a Marcus Morris type. But I guess given they're already a tax team for the foreseeable future, taking on that kind of long-term money isn't something they wanted to do while, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker's only $5 million next year. And, you know, maybe they could extend him for cheap. So I, I get the rationale behind it. They saved them, Utah saved $11 million towards the luxury tax and created a $9.8 million trade exception. So good for them. But Nikhil Alexander Walker for them is basically a reclamation project. And I'm Utah is pretty good at player development. They struggle to develop guards that aren't Donovan Mitchell. So I'm hoping Nikhil Alexander Walker could buy into what Utah preaches to him and then, you know, really improve as a player. Trailblazers, I was excited to see the Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Anthony Simons backcourt to close out the year. But again, Pullman just wanted the financial flexibility. I think they could have gotten more than just the 2027 seconds for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But, you know, it looks like they just wanted to get that financial flexibility. The last trade we saw was before the deadline was the Thunder trading KZ Akpala to the or the Thunder trading for Casey Akpala to the Heat for a 2026 second-round pick. And then they amended the 2023 first to a 2025 first. So basically, this gives the Heat flexibility to move a first-round pick. They didn't do it, but basically due to the Stapian rule, they are now they got off Casey Akpala to conceivably sign Caleb Martin to a standard NBA contract off of his two-way. And then, you know, now... 
Folky seeds will win. I gave them an A because I figured that Miami's 2025 first would be better than the 2023 first. At that point, Jimmy Butler would be 35 years old and Kyle Lowry might be retired. So that 2025 first might end up being good. That's why they gave up a second round pick in order to amend the pick from 2023 to 2025. And now you know the Heat have the flexibility to move that pick. I gave the Heat a B plus and I gave the Thunder an A. Both teams, you know, I think both teams win from doing this. I think it was a win-win move for both teams. And you don't see that often in NBA trades. Before we continue with the trades at the deadline, we have a brand new daily fa- daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos Thrive Fantasy. Pop up with Thrive Fantasy on the mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use code ethos when you sign up to get a 100% match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks, plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night, score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points when you show the nightly prize money. And check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that is code. That code is ethos over at thrivefantasy.com. Okay. So the first show we saw on deadline trade on deadline day happened around noon. And it was a four-teamer with the Kings, Pistons, Bucks, and Clippers. The Kings received Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles. The Pistons received Marvin Bagley, and the Bucks received Serge Ibaka. Two second-round picks, one being a 2023 second-rounder, which is the worst of Cleveland and Golden State, and a 2024 second via Sacramento. And the Clippers received two guys on minimum, Semi Ojale and Rodney Hood. Let's start with the Kings. The Kings, I gave them a B plus, and while I was low on them trading Halliburton, I think they did a good job getting value for Bagley because, honestly, I, I don't think Bagley had much value. I know clearly the trade market for DiVincenzo must have been down given his um, recent injury and injury concerns. But, I, I mean, I, I just thought the Bucks would be able to get more than Ibaka and one late second-round pick and maybe one early second-round pick. So, but again, let, let's start with the Kings. The Kings, I gave a B plus. DiVincenzo was a guy they targeted when they – did the Bogdan Bogdanovich sign and trade, and, you know, the trade got reversed due to tampering. But he's a decent shooter, good wing defender, and now Sacramento has restricted free agency rights. Sacramento is enough out of the tax um, that they could re-sign DiVincenzo for a reasonable number and not have to worry about the tax. So I, I anticipate them keeping him. Bagley, they weren't going to keep. So, again, I-, I can't imagine Bagley having any sort of value. So good for the Kings for getting something for them. For the Pistons, I really didn't understand it. I gave them a C. For me, Bagley, he, he wasn't going to be signed Sacramento anyway. Detroit is one of five cap, five teams with cap space this summer. So why not just sign him? I mean, are you really that worried that Sacramento is going to match the offer for him? Because I, I don't think Sacramento wanted him. So, I mean, you gave up two second-round picks to get Bagley when you could have gotten him for literally nothing this summer with your cap space. So I just, I don't understand. I mean, Detroit loves signing these reclamation projects. Guys all drafted in the top 10 and then, you know, we're borderline falling out of the league. We saw it with Dennis Smith Jr. We saw it with Josh Jackson. We saw it with Jalil Okafor. And now we're seeing it again with Marvin Bagley. So again, Detroit, I, I really don't understand the rationale behind them trading two second round picks to get them. The Bucks, I gave a C minus. Again, the writing was on the wall that DiVincenzo was going to leave once or he was going to get traded and he wasn't going to get extended once they signed and extended or once they traded for and extended Grayson Allen. Um, it, at that point with him and Pat Connaughton, it appeared that DiVincenzo was the odd man out. But I'm surprised even with the injury concerns that they really didn't get any sort of value for him. I mean, yeah, they got Sergi Barker. They needed an extra big man. Maybe if Ibaka returns to that 3 and D big that we saw in Toronto and even last year on the Clippers, maybe it'll be worth it. But again, he has a back injury derailing him. I'm a bit more skeptical that Ibaka's going to be that guy. In addition to that, the Bucks increased their tax bill by $6.4 million. So while I thought they were going to cut, I knew they were going to trade Ojalai and Hood. I just thought they'd trade them and take nobody back and then wait for the buyout market. Instead... They traded both of them, brought on Ibaka, and increased their tax bill by $6.4 million. So, again, they're more expensive, and I'm not sure how much better they are. For the Clippers, I gave them an A-. I know I said earlier that I knew they were going to increase the luxury tax bill. Well, they ended up decreasing it with both moves. So, basically, what they did was they traded Ibaka for two guys on minimums and reduced their tax bill by $30 million and undid the spike from the tax 
from the first trade, from the Covington Appel trade, and then some. So not only did they go into this deadline and get better by adding Powell and Covington and subtracting Ibaka, but they're cheaper now too. So they got better while they got better and more deep on the wing while saving money. And that's extremely hard to do. So shout out to the Clippers. I gave them an A minus. This was a phenomenal job by them. They opened up room for Isaiah Hardenstein to get more minutes behind Ibika Zubach. And Apparently, the Clippers are keeping Rodney Hood and Semi Ojolay. I'm more skeptical. I think they, you know, at least trade one of them, or excuse me, cut one of them in order to make room for Emil Coffee and give him a standard NBA contract. But we will see. The next trade we saw happen a few minutes later, and that was the Raptors. Um, they received Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, who they cut, and a 2022 second round pick from Detroit, from San Antonio, for Goran Dragic, who's getting bought out. A 2022 lottery protected first round pick that's one to thirteen protected in 2023 and two sec and if it doesn't convey then then it becomes two seconds in 2024. While the Raptors do have the best player development in the league, I I don't doubt again that Detroit pick they receive is probably going to be the first pick in the second round, so that's pick 31. I I don't doubt that Toronto will find value at pick 31. But the pick they traded is currently 19. So was it really worth moving down 12 spots in order to acquire Thaddeus Young? Initially, I was like, okay, there has to be a subsequent move being made. Toronto was literally right at the tax. I think they were a few hundred thousand under the tax. And then by trading Dragic for Thaddeus Young and Eubanks, they basically, you know, gained $3 million in breathing room under the tax. So I was thinking, okay, well, now they're going to make a subsequent move where they're going to take $3 million on a salary, and that's why they were so willing to give up the pick. But that subsequent move never happened. So, I, I mean, I don't know how... I know Phoenix had interest in Thaddeus Young, and they were offering like Dario Saric, Shannon Smith, and a late second round pick. But I just feel like, I don't know, maybe Toronto is bidding against themselves a little bit. Thaddeus Young is everything they look for in a guy. He's but Toronto loves guys that are between 6'6 and 6'9 and are extremely long. And that's what Thaddeus Young is. He's going to operate out of the high post and rack up assists by doing that, and that's going to be a role he thrives in. Even when we saw him in Chicago last year, he was one of the better six men in the NBA at age 32. I'm not sure how much he's fallen off because he hasn't played much this year at age 33. But I just, I, I don't see Thaddeus Young, who's a guy who potentially could have been bought out. And again, even if he was bought out, I'm sure Toronto is was skeptical that he would sign there. So maybe that's why they made the trade for him. But I really don't know if Thaddeus Young was worth moving down 12 spots in the draft for a team who's currently, I think, the sixth seed in the East. Meanwhile, for Spurs, I gave him an A. I mean, they were going to end up buying out Young anyway. Instead, they buy out Dragic. They took on an extra few million dollars. But again, they're a rebuilding team. And it really seems like they're more committed to the rebuild after the Derek White trade, which we'll get to. But they acquire another first-round pick, move up about 12 spots from that Detroit seconds, which is significant. San Antonio's had a lot of success drafting guys of value in the late 20s or in the second round, so the early 30s. They did that with Carlton Johnson. They did it with Derek White. They did it with DeJounte Murray. The Spurs are great at finding value out of guys. So I don't doubt that they want that 19th pick because there's a guy that they're targeting that they think is going to fall. So I'm interested to see, you know, um, what the Spurs do with that pick. But I think this was a well-done job by the Spurs, again, acquiring a pick for a guy they were going to buy out. So good for them. Celtics and Magic, I'm not going to talk too much about it. P.J. Dojo, Bull Bull, a top 45 second round pick in cash, going to the Magic for a top 25, 2023 20, second. That's never going to convey. This was a salary dump. The Celtics had to get under the um, under the tax. This was the way of doing it. I gave both teams a B because, yes, the Celtics want to get under the tax. Good for them. But the Celtics ended up leading the trade deadline with only 10 guys on the roster. So they need to fill these four roster spots with G League guys or buyout guys. And I'm not sure who's going to be, you know, really there for them available. I know they signed Luke Cornett and converted Sam Hauser to a standard. So those are both, I guess, okay uses of a roster spot. But, I, I mean, the Celtics definitely, their depth took a little hit. The Magic, apparently, are going to keep Bo Ball. He's the kind of guy, long, tall, handsome. I mean, that's the kind of guy Orlando loves. So I, I'm excited to see, you know, a Bo Ball, Mo Bamba lineup together. And, you know, see what the Magic do with that. The next one was a big blockbuster between the Nets and the Celtics. 
where the Nets traded James Harden to the Sixers for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, an unprotected 2022 first that could be deferred to 2023, and a 2027 first that's not being protected. You know, first when I saw this offer, I initially thought it was going to be Ben Seth in a first, and I thought that was going to be it. But, you know, once the Nets wanted Matisse Thibault, they had to throw in the second rounder. The Nets wanted to get greedy and take Drummond. Sixers probably didn't value Drummond that high. I said, okay, whatever, let's just get this done. Um, at first, I was like, okay, this is a little steep. But then I thought back to what the Rockets wanted for Harden when the Sixers won those negotiations. And it was Ben Simmons when he had even more trade value than he had now, in addition to Maxi and Thibault and three first and three swaps. They wanted the whole farm, and they got that from the Nets. So, I mean, this is definitely a constellation. I know James Harden is a year older, and he's about to get paid the biggest contract in NBA history, which could end up being a disaster. He's going to be getting paid $61 million in his age 37 season, which I'm not sure he's going to age the same way Chris Paul did. He's not like a Russell Westbrook or John Wall where he was, you know, his game is predicated on speed and athleticism. His game is more predicated on passing and IQ, but he, he does a good job at picking his spots and being able to score, so... I don't anticipate him aging as gracefully as Chris Paul has. So, yes, that that does worry me a little bit. But if they win a championship, I would say it's all worth it. I gave the Sixers an A-. minus. They got their guy. They traded Ben Simmons, who they're getting nothing out of. And people, some people were actually saying Ben Simmons is the worst contract in the NBA. So good for the Sixers for getting, you know, a top 10 or 12 player in the league for them. Meanwhile, for the Nets... I'm still a little bit concerned about Ben Simmons' role with them because they need him to be like their Draymond Green. And the issue is Ben's never going to have a consistent role. In home games, he's probably going to be the primary ball handler because Kyrie can't play. Then on the road games, he's probably going to be primarily a screener because Kyrie is going to have the ball in his hands a ton. So I just, I don't love it, the fit with Ben Simmons. But I will say this, they have the most versatile scorer and most versatile defender in the NBA on that same team in Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. So that that part is definitely scary as a Sixers fan. Um, Seth Curry, he's replacing the injured Joe Harris. And yeah, I, I'm a little bit worried about the Patty Mills and Seth Curry backcourt because... You know it's extremely small, but Simmons and Durant's versatility on defense may make up for it. And I don't know what the Nets want with Andre Drummond. They already have Lamarcus Aldridge, Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin, and Daron Shaw. I don't know why they needed a fifth center and a center that, you know, he's not a floor spacer, which is the one thing they did need. He's not a rim runner. He's, you know, a more ground and pound, rebounding type big man, which, sure, that's great. But it's, it's kind of repetitive of what they need. I will mention that the Nets did save $18 million off the luxury tax with this trade. So, good for them. The next trade was the Celtics trading um, Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and top four protected 2022 first, along with a 2028 pick swap to the Spurs for Derek White. For the Celtics, I gave it a B plus. Derek White is only 27 years old, and he has three more years at a reasonable deal at a reasonable number on his deal. I think White is a better playmaker than he was able to show in San Antonio, playing alongside DeJounte Murray. And, you know, after trading Dennis Schroeder, clearly Brad Stevens agrees with my assessment as well. White could be the Celtics six-man and give them another ball handler and perimeter defender, similar to what Marcus Smart gives them, or he could be a similar player alongside Marcus Smart. So I'm interested to see, you know, that duo work together, that tandem. The Celtics also don't have a history of drafting well when drafting in the late teens, early 20s, as, but again, that was with Danny Ainge. Now that Brad Stevens is at the helm, maybe, you know, it'll be different. But the Celtics might not have been too confident in their ability to draft, so why not trade Josh Richardson, who's a negative value contract at this point, and Romeo Langford, who you haven't been using, for that first-round pick to get a clear upgrade in Derek White. So again, I gave the Celtics a B plus. For the Spurs, I gave them a C plus just because I actually really like Derek White. Um, he was a bit expendable, though, playing alongside DeJounte Murray, who just made his first all-star team, as well as, you know, them wanting more minutes for Devin Vassell. So um, they acquired a first for Thaddeus Young, so they acquired a second one here. And as I said, the Spurs are great at finding um, value late in the draft, late in the first round, early in the second round, in the second round. They do a great job at that. Um, 
in regard to Romeo Langford, he's definitely shown some flashes at, of defensive potential, and San Antonio can give him more extended run than Boston was able to. The next trade was a Pesos trading Tory Craig to the Suns for Jalen Smith in 2022 second round pick. For the Pesos, I gave them a C, and I think this might be a bit generous. Basically, I gave them a C because good for them for getting off of Craig's guaranteed money for next year and opening up $5 million more in cap space. I project them to have about $26 million in cap space now. The issue is that they, they virtually got no value for Craig, and I thought they could have. Jalen Smith, because his rookie option was declined, his third-year rookie option was declined by Phoenix, Indiana acquired him, and they can't pay him more than that third-year rookie option, so they can only pay him $4.7 million and can't pay him more. Now, I don't even know if he's worth more than that, but the point is if he gets anything bigger, Indiana, you know, they need to let him walk. They can match that. Or they, they can't pay him that. So um, they they got a guy who they can resign, and then they got 2022 second round pick. That's the dead last pick in the draft that's coming from Phoenix because Phoenix has the best record in the NBA. So they, they got virtually nothing for Torrey Craig. Good for them for being able to get off of Craig's money. As I said, I do project Indiana at $26 million in cash space now, but it, it, it was more of a salary dump than being able to get any value for Craig. Now, for the Suns, I gave them an A. Maybe I was a little bit too generous. Maybe they're more in the A- minus and B-plus range, only because of Phoenix's issues with the tax next year. They're sitting $14 million below the tax line before you factor in DeAndre Aiden's contract that he'll get this summer. So I thought if Phoenix was going to get anybody, it would be a guy on an expiring deal, or maybe they flip like a Dario Saric get off of his money next year. Maybe, you know, they acquired Aaron Holiday, so maybe they'd be willing to trade campaign. But they are so far into the luxury tax if they do nothing after DeAndre. Well, not so far, but they'll be pretty far into the luxury tax if they do nothing with DeAndre after signing DeAndre Aiden. That I wouldn't be shocked if they flip Craig after the finals run this year. Um, but this is what happens when you don't have a player's bird rights. Craig left Phoenix because they didn't have his bird rights because he only signed a one-year deal with Milwaukee before being traded to Phoenix. So they weren't able to pay him a substantial raise. And th- they needed that backup center that Craig played in the finals after Darius Sarwich went down and tore his ACL. Craig played that small ball five for them. They want to get a real backup five. And so with the mid-level exception, they gave it to JaVale McGee or a portion of the mid-level exception to JaVale McGee over Craig. So Craig returns in a different type of role. He's not going to play the backup center. He'll be more of a backup forward to Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, and Cam Johnson. He'll be that fourth forward for them. And yeah, um, as I said, Phoenix might have to flip him again due to their luxury tax problems, but that's something we'll have to see. The Hornets and the Wizards. The Wizards get Montre- or the Wizards trade Montres Howell or the Hornets for Vernon Carey, Ish Smith, and Boston's 2023 second round pick. In 2020 free agency, I thought Montrose Howell was a lock to end up in Charlotte before signing the mid-level exception with the Lakers. Last year, I thought the Hornets were locked to sign Rashawn Holmes before trading for Mason Plumlee. In my mock trade deadline, which all you guys should take a look at, it's a three-part mock trade deadline with 14 other people all negotiating as NBA GMs, we had Miles Turner going to the Hornets at the deadline. So either way, it's been a long time coming for the Hornets to acquire a big man. Well, between I would have preferred Turner and Holmes, Harold, they got for virtually nothing. So good for them for keeping P.J. Washington. Good for them for keeping P.J. Book... Uh, yeah, um, James Booknight, excuse me. And good for them for keeping all the first-round picks. They gave up a most likely late 2023 20, seconds. Ish Smith, who, you know, he hasn't even been in the rotation. And Vernon Carey, who they actually got off his money next year to get Harold. So good for them. I mean, they, they got essentially nothing. According to the Ringers, Kevin O'Connell, a mellow ball, leads the NBA in transition assist. So Montres Howell is a perfect running mate for that style of the players are running big. Um, PJ Washington, now he could move more back into the stretch four role rather than play the backup center. And that's the role I think he's going to thrive in. So I, I do expect the Hornets to land some kind of point guard in the buyout market, just as assurance for Terry Ruggio and the mellow ball. Because, you know, Ish Smith was that third point guard on the team. Now they don't have that. For the Wizards, I suppose the rationale was they knew they were trading Spencer Dinwiddie and they needed a point guard because if not, Howell Neto would have been the only point guard on the roster. But, and again, they had 
Daniel Gafford. They had Montres Harrell. They had Thomas Bryant back from a torn ACL. And then they traded for Christos Porzingis subsequently. So they knew they had a, a logjam at the big man, at the center position. But I'm, I'm just surprised they got nothing for Harrell. I mean, they got a late 2023 first, and that's it. I thought they could have extracted some kind of value. I gave them a C plus, but that, that might have been a little generous. Um, they have the option to keep Ish Smith at $4.7 million next year as a non-guaranteed deal. And maybe they pick it up. I don't know. Let's go into the next trade because it also pertains to the Wizards. The Mavericks traded Christos Porzingis and 2027 second rounder to the Wizards for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Platons. I gave both teams a C minus. Very rarely does a trade look bad for both teams, but this is one of them. For the Mavs, this is an admission that, okay, we messed up by trading for Christos Porzingis. Let's break up his big untradeable contract into two smaller bad contracts. Now, Dinwiddie might not end up being a bad contract, but clearly Washington didn't want him. Him and Bradley Beal clashed. Um, they didn't get along. Dinwiddie hasn't been the guy that he was before his torn ACL. And Davis Bertans, I think, is the worst contract in the NBA. He's been racking up DNPCDs, making $18 million a year. So the math figure, okay, let's split up this contract into two because we're more easily able to trade these two guys than Porzingis. For the Mavs, I mean, they didn't even really save money. The whole rationale of trading Porzingis is so you could re-sign Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson this summer, and then we saw Dorian Finney-Smith get extended for the max they were able to pay him after um, they traded Porzingis. They ended up locking up Finney-Smith. But for Dinwiddie, he's fully guaranteed through next season and is $10 million guaranteed in 2023-24, while Bertans is fully guaranteed in 2023-24 with a $5 million guarantee and player option through 2024-25. Porzingis has a player option through 2024-25, so yes, they want to re-sign Brunson. It, it, this trade didn't really save them any money. It might save them a couple million dollars in 2024-25. But, I, I mean, it just shows how little they actually value Porzingis. They've been doing fine without him. Porzingis hasn't even been playing. He's been injured. So, And I suppose Dinwiddie does provide them with some, some insurance, provided that Jalen Brunson could possibly leave for the Knicks or for Detroit or for somewhere else in restricted free agency this year. For the Wizards, clearly trading for Chris Porzingis isn't going to convince Bradley Beal to want to stay. The only thing that Bradley Beal would stay for is that he could get the five-year contract for significantly more money than anywhere else in free agency. I think the Celtics did set themselves up well to acquire Bradley Beal this summer so he could play with his buddy Jason Tatum. But that's story for another day. Um, clearly Dinwiddie fell out of favor quickly in Washington. Him and Bradley Beal didn't get along because they both won in the ball. Davis Bertans, that contract, it's probably because Bertans can't do anything but shoot. Hopefully Bertans could revive himself in Dallas. But yeah, the Wizards just, they, they needed to just make a change. This is a change they made. I, I don't love it. I just feel like both teams needed to force something. And this is what happens when you force something. Everyone, please take a moment to listen to our sponsor. Stop giving your personal information to your ISP on top of overcharging your ISP is allowed to legally sell your browsing history to third-party advertisers for a ton of cash. Take your privacy back with ExpressVPN. Head to our special promotional link at expressvpn.com backslash hoop or front slash hoopball. Yes, they still have the old name to get three bonus months on a 12-month subscription. It's super easy. Turning on just takes one click and it works great with streaming services like Netflix or sports packages like League Pass 2. Once more, that's expressvpn.com front slash hoopball, grab those three bonus packages now. Or those three bonus months now, excuse me. Okay, we have two trades left here. The first one is the Rockets trade Daniel Tice to the Celtics for Dennis Schroeder, Ennis Freedom, and Bruno Fernando. I gave the Celtics a B and the Rock or the Celtics a C and the Rockets a B plus. Brad Stevens clearly can't quit Daniel Tice. He overplayed him when he was the coach and Tice was on the team. And then Danny Ainge traded Tice at last year's deadline to get the Celtics under the tax. Brad Stevens, of course, had to reacquire him. I get the appeal for one trade, Dennis Schroeder, because, again, a lot of the NBA free agency is controlled by bird rights. Because Schroeder only signed a one-year deal, they did not have his bird rights, so the most they could pay him would be either the taxpayer mid-level exception or the mid-level exception, whichever one they had. So I don't know how much more Schroeder would have made than that, so maybe the Celtics could have re-signed him and then acquired his bird rights by keeping him for that second year. 
but I get the appeal to trade him because you weren't sure you were going to be able to resign him. But for Tice, who has two years, $18 million more on his deal, and then a team option 24-25, which is, I can guarantee you won't be picked up. That's a lot of money for a backup center who in Houston showed he can't play alongside another big in Christian Wood or Alprin Shangoon. And the Celtics play a lot of two big lineups without Horford and Time Lord. So I just, this was a bad trade. I get wanting to get off a of Schroeder, but I think I'd rather gamble than guarantee myself and be strapped with that Tice money. Um, the Celtics are going to be playing captain gymnastics for the next few years now. And it's mostly because they acquired Tice. So from a financial standpoint, this is a disaster. Houston made a huge mistake signing Tice to a three-year deal plus a team option at just about the mid-level exception. And, you know, they're not, they, they remedy the situation by trading him. So that's why I gave them a B plus. They had Balaji Morse. They got off the contract, essentially a salary cap dump. I imagine they buy out Dennis Schroeder and they already, you know, waived Ennis Freedom and Bruno Fernando. Um, if the Celtics cut Al Horford this summer, he 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 is guaranteed $14.5 million of his $26.5 million guaranteed. But if they keep him, they're in the tax. So, again, that, that Tice contract is going to be tough to stomach. I think this, Brad Stevens didn't have much foresight thinking about that with this trade. And the, as I said, they're going to be paying Captain Nassus for years. And I just, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. The last trade, I don't have much to say. It's the Wizards trade, Aaron Holiday of the Suns for cash. If I'm not mistaken, in that five-team convoluted Spencer Dinwiddie signing trade to the Wizards, where Russell Westbrook went to the Lakers and Kyle Kuzma and Montrose Howell and Contavious Caldwell-Football went to Washington, I believe Washington gave him a first-round pick to acquire Aaron Holiday, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it was a first-round pick that the Lakers gave them. Or was it Washington's own? It was Washington's own first-round pick, I believe, that they gave up to acquire Aaron Holiday. And now, less than a season later, they're flipping Holiday for cash. So that in itself isn't a good look, that you gave up a first-round pick for a guy, and then you're already moving off of him for literally nothing. So I know the Wizards made a few two-for-one trades in the Pozingas trade and the Montrose Howell trade. So they had to kill the roster spots. Holiday was killed the odd man out, so that's why they did it. For the Suns, I guess it gives them assurance. I guess they assume Alfred Payton isn't that guy to be the backup point guard. And if, you know, campaign or Chris Paul, God forbid, go down in the playoffs, there I am knocking on wood again. It, it's going to be... Uh, I still don't think Aaron Holiday's that guy anyway, but I suppose they think he's more that guy than Alfred Payton is. So, Okay. As I said, this is going to be an article on Sports Ethos' website, so please check that out. Rate and review me on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Listen to Bird Rights wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't had a chance, look back on my three-part article, the mock trade deadline, to reflect on how things actually went down and how we predicted they would go down. It's an interesting exercise to see. And, um, yeah, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. But real quick, before we sign off, we want to also remind all you guys to use coupon code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also check out our pals at mybookie.ag. Use code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. So again, this concludes this episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. And thank you guys for listening.